dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Morrissey the blast, Blues back, scores! Shankly wires it, scores! What a stop by Hellebuck! Kyle Connor, Jets go bang, bang, bang! Welcome to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. It's episode 161 of the Ground Control Podcast, the season recap edition. And before I really dive into things, of course, this is Mitchell Clinton joined alongside 680 CJOB's Paul Edmonds and Jamie Thomas, as well as Tyler Escovel, one of the people that brought so much of the oh. behind the scenes content this season. I do have one question for everyone. You know, usually these episodes, they're recorded at the downtown office in the audio suite, <laughs> which is where Jamie's hanging out currently, making us all look bad. But I was going to say, you know, do we, the the other three of us now, are we recording from satellite offices? Does that make it sound like we have a network of recording studios? Because that's what I think I'm going to call it. <laughs> There's a big tax write-off coming up next year for that one day you spent <laughs> at, in your home office. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Good. Yeah. That's because that's what I'm going to go with. So, um, yeah. Nonetheless, here we are uh, breaking down the 2022-23 season for the Winnipeg Jets, which ultimately came to an end in five games to the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a tough series to really look back on, whether that be for injury reasons, the fact that it started so well with the Game 1 win, the furious comeback in Game 3, or otherwise. But when I ask you guys your feelings on that series, what comes to mind? And Paul, as the play-by-play voice, let's go with you first. I have said this before, and it begs repeating. I worry about what happens to teams when they lose in overtime or double overtime. And you expand all that energy in game three to come back from a three-goal deficit in the third period, and you just can't find your way to scoring that game-winning goal. And yes, Pierre-Luc Dubois came awful close, ringing one off the pipe. But then when you have expended that energy and you don't get the result that you want and the euphoria goes up and then boom, it just pops like a bubble. I worry about the latent effect of the rest of the series because I've seen it before in other sports, uh, but principally it's the same thing. And yeah, they had a valiant fight in game four to try to respond again. But boy, if they would have won that game, game three, that first game at home, the city would have been on fire for sure. You're up 2-1 in the series. You're probably getting for sure a game six if you don't go on to maybe kind of use that as momentum to yourself and to your propulsion of winning the series. And we're probably talking about a bit of a different narrative. So for me, yes, the loss of Josh Morrissey, the loss of Marshley in the series, and only getting Nikolai Ehlers back for game five, that certainly hurts. I mean, as I've had conversations with Jamie and some other people about this as we've kind of done the postmortem on it, hey, take Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone, and Alex Petrangelo out of their lineup, and let's see how Vegas would perform. It would be completely different. In saying that, that's what it was for the Jets. They battled adversity and injuries all year, so we're not kind of surprised that they had to do that again in the postseason. But for me, a different result in that double overtime game might have evoked a different result in what happened in the series. And, and for two, for me too, Mitch, I think because of the way the series ended, a lot of people forgot about what the rest of the series was like, how close it was. And outside of game two, the last you know half, you know, from the second period on in game number two, the Jets were the better team in the series for four periods. 
uh, then starting in Vegas and then you lose game three, but the way it ended really got people or had people forgetting about how close it all was, what it looked like, the momentum, how the city was starting to really come around this team, especially that last homestand for the playoffs. So there's a lot of good things built into this. So, I mean, the unfortunate way game five happened, everyone forgot about how good the series was before that, how close it was and how evenly played for the majority part of the series. So it's unfortunate the way it ended, but it was, they, the Jets had their chance. And as Paul talked about, we would be talking about a, a much different narrative had they won game number three and the momentum that would have came from that probably would have helped this series along. All right. Uh, nonetheless, you know, we'll, now obviously everything starts to look toward the summer and we'll get to, you know, what kind of decisions Kevin Sheveldayoff has ahead of him when it uh, comes to the summer in just a second. But as we complete our recap of what the season looks <laughs> like from all three of you, um, I'm curious if there's a game or a moment that stood out because I look back to the start of the season, Jamie, Paul and I, you know, we sat here and we were going through the five games we'd really want to have a ticket to. And as a way to kind of look back, I'm curious if either of you guys have a particular game or a particular moment in the season that really stood out. And Tyler, you've been sitting there. You get to go first. Yeah, for me, I was thinking about it a bit this morning as you sent a nice crafted email detailing what we're going to discuss. <laughs> so I had some time while watching Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. As that's kind of my off-season job number one. Um, I think for me, it was, you know, it's no secret that Winnipeg Jets came out of the gates on fire, you know, really surprised a lot of the hockey world in terms of just how they were playing, given the narratives that were heading into the season, new coach, uh, Rick bonus. I think just the start of the season was really exciting, but for me, the things that stood stood out were the two overtime winners by Josh Morrissey against the Carolina Hurricanes and then two games later against the the Dallas Stars. Just, it was a kind of a coming out party for the kid. Obviously, you know, we all know what he's capable of, but for him to take the stage like that and score those two OT winners, there was a great moment after the game in Dallas to uh, Rick Bonus is coming off the ice and kind of just bumps like, wow, that kid could skate. It, it's in the runway episode uh that was my sort of favorite moment, if you will, uh, from the season. I'll, I'll go next on that one. It's, I think, there, like Tyler said, there's a lot of great moments. The start was tremendous. The fact they're hanging around first place in the Western Conference right before the All-Star break. After part of that last homestand where, you know, the criticism came after the 3-0 loss to San Jose and that California road trip and everything was falling apart and you're wondering if they're going to be able to piece it together and hold on long enough to make the playoffs – and then that homestand comes, and they they win four or five, and in some of those games in dominant fashion, you're seeing everything that the Winnipeg Jets were earlier in the year. All that talent, the penalty kill, the power play, uh, they really nailed it together. And a big win over top of New Jersey is no team to sneeze at. And then you know that game on Saturday night when the pressure's on, they beat Nashville two nothing, close it out against a team that you know torched them all year long in the San Jose Sharks. And then last but not least, I, that that win in Minnesota where I thought that the momentum they build on and the way the team came together, so, you know, supporting one another, having each other's backs when things got really physical with the Minnesota wild and the clinching game to get in the playoffs. I thought that was going to be the springboard for the postseason. but that last homestand 
that game in Minnesota, that was my favorite part of the season because of all of the th- all the things that were on their backs and all the criticism that was coming to them and all the pressure they were under. The Jets delivered when they had to, won four games out of five in their final homestand. Of course, that game in, in Minnesota or, or St. Paul to clinch a playoff spot. So that, that was, uh, to me, of all the great things that happened, happened earlier in the year to close out the regular season the way they did this was, was I fantastic. think you stole my notes <laughs> <laughs> so you know all of the things leading up and, and I'm going to go with Tyler here that, that that one overtime game in Dallas was a bit of a highlight I've got a couple here and and I think that you know it comes from an honest place I mean the way Josh Morrissey scored that overtime winner in the breakaway speed that he had against Jason Robertson so you know, Robertson's a little younger and he's a little taller and he's got a longer stride. And yet Josh Morrissey broke away from him to score that goal. That was a highlight for me. And that was a big, that was a big moment, I think, for the Jets in flipping the script, especially against the Dallas Stars, because they did ultimately win that season series against the Stars. Not that it really accounted for anything later, you know, later in the season. But it was good to know that against one of the top performers in your division, you had the season series in case it did have a bit of a countback aspect. Then I'm with JT, uh, but for a different reason. That homestand, the building was electric again. It reminded me of pre-COVID. There was five games there, and yeah, there was a bit of a slip against Calgary. I understand all of that. But overall, everybody was electrified in, in watching this team pursue a playoff spot. And you would love to have a Boston Bruins type regular season team because you're going to go almost on a nightly basis down to the rink and watch your team win and outperform the others. But that time of year when you are also chasing for a playoff spot, if you're that team, that can be exciting and exhilarating for your for your market and your fan base. And that's what we saw. And within that game, we saw Mark Shifley for the first time score 40 goals. He had banged on the door before. Like he had never gotten through that threshold. He had been there a couple of times and he scores his 40th. It ends up being the game winner, the first time to 40 in a 2-0 shutout victory over the Nashville Predators during that, that homestand. And then I'm also with Jamie. Game 81 for me was my favorite. At a time of need, the Winnipeg Jets needed to perform to their ultimate best to win a hockey game. Because going into Colorado in game 82 and hoping you get a point or two was a daunting task. The best opportunity that you had was right in that moment in game 81 to grab a point or two. And ultimately you grabbed two against Minnesota, your arch rivals in a game that got off the rails for sure was out of control at points, but you also beat them. You also stood up for yourselves. You rallied around it. And for the first time in the season series, you beat your foe because you had to. And there's just something remarkable about in that moment having to, you know, defeat somebody that you didn't have a very good track record against in order for you to get into the playoffs. So that was my favorite game was game 81 and that 3-1 victory against the Minnesota Wild in St. Paul. No question. So I've got two moments. I don't know, like particular game. I'm not really sure. I mean, I I enjoyed the ones where Winnipeg played like super well, especially on the road, like the, the win in Pittsburgh, you know, where it was just a, a complete and, and dominant effort there. Um, but in terms of moments, and I'm, it sucks because the way that sometimes uh, 
you know, a media job works is, you know, as the game's coming down to the final minutes or whatever, you got to run downstairs to be able to go into the room for post-game availability. And that was the case in game three against Vegas. So when Adam Lowry scores the tying goal, I'm actually underneath <laughs> the uh, the stands, kind of right by the, uh, the Matt Frost Media Center. And just so we can get to the room quickly and all that kind of stuff. And he scores. And I'll never forget that building absolutely like blowing up to make it 4-4. So that moment, I'm going to remember for a while. And then also, of course, um, a lot of the ones that you guys mentioned, but I'm surprised. And Tyler, you touched on Josh Morrissey and his coming out party, but the goal he scored against St. Louis and the celebration against the glass, you know, getting the fans all riled up. That one for sure is going to stand out to me. I'll watch that highlight clip over and over again, just because, I mean, you know that, you know that Winnipeg comes back and wins that game. That's, you know, one reason to make it an easy YouTube watch. But also just the fact that that really seemed to be one of the moments in the season where, you know, adversity was hitting the Jets and Josh Morrissey was one of the the big reasons why they were able to pull out of it. Uh, Tyler, you touched on runway just a little bit. That was a project that took up a, a significant chunk of your time this year <laughs> uh, and that uh, as well as uh, obviously Caleb Snyder and Sarah Lesky had uh, a big role in that as well. Uh, lots of great episodes this year and a lot of behind the scenes stuff, whether that was, you know, Nito Niederreiter arriving in Winnipeg and his first day at the rink or post-game speeches. I'm just curious if there's anything that stood out to you from that project overall. Yeah. I mean, it was an exciting project to be able to bring Jets fans uh, a little bit behind the scenes. Um, I will say too, like I, I hope this project continues and hope people enjoyed it enough to want it to continue. But uh, yeah, like, so many great little storylines over the course of the year from, you know, Sam Gagne playing in his thousandth NHL game, which I think is pretty cool considering like he, he has had a heck of a career and who knows if it's over, like if there still could be more to that story. Um, but really cool to be a part of that. Um, Caleb Snyder did a fantastic job with that episode. He cut that one. Um, you know, Rick Bonus has returned to Dallas. Uh, Dylan Sandberg playing in his home state for the first time. There were a lot of really cool storylines that we were able to touch on. Players were really generous with their time in terms of just giving us access uh, to their lives and and inside the dressing room as well. Um, but just you know, throughout the throughout a hockey season, it's it's wash, rinse, repeat. A lot of it. Um, you know, you. You get to the rink for morning skate, then you have your afternoon, and then you go to the game and, and you hope for a win. Um, some of my favorite moments were just being in those in the locker rooms after after the wins. You know, it's just the guys work so hard to be able to to earn those victories and to see it all pay off, even just on a night nightly basis in the regular season. And it doesn't matter whether it's in October or you know April. Like they're they're still just as jazzed up, and obviously the wins later on in the season, you know, they, they were a lot more exciting because, you know, they were pushing for a playoff spot, but um, those were my favorite moments to do. I do have one quick story um, to do with runway that I think you guys will enjoy the episode in depth with bonus. It was myself and Adam Kruger, uh, our content lead. He was subbing in for uh, Caleb, that road trip. And, Part of that episode, if you will recall, was Bones doing his pregame speech ahead of the game. Now, some backstory into that. The team had 
come off a pretty bad loss in Minnesota on Thanksgiving. I scheduled us in Minnesota on Thanksgiving next year. I'm sure you guys would agree. Um, so we won't get into that too much. But anyway, so he was going to wear a mic that morning, but I think the sentiment was just like, uh, you know, maybe we don't do that uh, for the morning skate in Dallas, just because I'm thinking he probably had some conversations to have uh, with people. And I think there were some lineup changes too. So the agreement was we would do the pregame speech, but for those to give you a sense of what that room in Dallas looks like, the visiting room, you kind of walk in and it's a very shallow room and there's more stalls to the right than there are on the left but the left is where like the goalies sit and maybe like i think perfetti was sitting over there it's kind of like a bit of a isolated area there's really not a whole lot going on but the whiteboard's over there and in order for me to capture excuse me what we needed to capture get rick's face on camera we so i couldn't stand at the doorway but directly across from the doorway across the room is the bathroom now I couldn't necessarily like walk through the room after Rick walked in. So I had to get in there first. But so our PR director told me, he's like, uh, okay, so you're good to go in the room, but you got to go stand in the bathroom. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I got to stand in the bathroom. He's like, well, he, so he explained it. What I just explained. I'm like, okay, well, when do I got to go in the bathroom? He's like, well, you know, on the countdown clock, coach usually does a speech at about the eight minute mark before the game starts. He's like, you got to go. And I think he was just kind of toying with me at this point, but I, I did it anyway. So I went into the bathroom like seven minutes before <laughs> Bones goes <laughs> and does a speech. And I'm like ready to go. And like, I've been around the team long enough. Like the guys all know me and they're comfortable around around me. But at the same time, like I'm just the dude in the bathroom with the camera. <laughs> so I was getting absolutely torched by the guys. Like, what are you doing over there? Like, you know, the bathroom camera and blah, blah, blah. So... <laughs> I stood there for seven painful minutes in the doorway of the bathroom as guys walked by me to go, you know, relieve themselves or <laughs> wet their hair. And then finally Rick came in what felt like the longest seven minutes of my life. He gave a great speech and I exited and uh, my, I left my dignity back in that bathroom in uh, Dallas. So um, the sacrifices we all make to share great moments with the fans. For so, a 15 the second camera. clip. <laughs> yeah for a 15 second clip, which hey it was nice it was good it didn't smell terrible so that's good <laughs> um, but yeah so that's my runway story i hope to bring uh to even i know there's been a lot of conversations and the season's just ended but you know we're really excited to hopefully do this next year and uh bring more great storylines and great moments uh, to the jets fans so uh yeah that that's my runway story Shows my uh, <laughs> producer chops. I should have just ended on that real positive story because now I now I've got to go into uh, everything that has to go on in the summer and all those serious decisions and everything. But there's no easy way to transition into that. But uh, yeah, obviously, there's, yeah, there's the NHL draft uh, June 28th, 29th. Of course, we'll have everything about that event covered uh free agency and beyond all that there's contract negotiations potential arbitration dates it's all stuff that every team really has to deal with uh jets have five rfas all with arbrights that being dubois baron stenland sandberg stanley of course getting all this from cap friendly uh on top of that there's six ufas vladislav nemestikov carson kuhlman axel Janssen, fialvi saku manalainen sam gagne and david riddick 
that's a busy offseason for Kevin Shevel day off with the summer of 2024 also looking busy. Um, Paul, Jamie, anybody that wants to take it, uh, it's near impossible to predict. But what does the summer hold outside of a very busy calendar for Kevin Shevel day off? Of that list of UFAs, I, I would love to see them bring back uh, Sacramento Lions based on what I saw this year. And I thought Menalina was a, a great, a key part to a penalty kill that was amongst the, the NHL's best. Um, I love the fact that he likes to play the game physically, does not back down. Uh, great fourth line player. So uh, of that group there, that's the guy I'd like to see them bring back the most. The other part is now you also have guys on their, you know, their last year of their contracts in Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, Connor Hellebuck. I know Brendan Dillon's only got one year left in his, on his deal. So to me, the question mark is, are all four of those guys come back? And what does that look like if they do? Um, so I think Kevin Cheveldale's got a very interesting summer in front of him. And that's what I always like with Kevin Cheveldale off to come and talk to the media two days after the season ended. There's like so many things that have to come into place. And I find it's very hard for him to answer all the questions that are coming at, at him when they're just in the initial stages of, of the off season. So uh, it, it, to me, this looks and again, I've said this a lot. It's only my sixth year here. I haven't been here since the beginning, since the Jets came back. But to me, this is the most interesting offseason in the history of Jets 2.0 history um, as, as we embark upon it. But uh, very interesting summer indeed coming up for this hockey club. Well, I pre predicted there's going to be some changes here and probably some of the seismic variety. I don't know what those are, but you can rest assured that there is a plan here, Okay. And the funny thing about plans is that you have a great plan and then something happens there for you have to deviate from the plan, right? So they could say, well, we're going to bring this group back. We're going to try to sign this guy. And then all of a sudden something happens or you get a trade offer or something that you can't refuse or somebody says that they'd like to go somewhere else. There's all kinds of things that are orbiting around. And you're right. I mean, Kevin has a bit of a difficult time answering some of those questions specifically 48 hours after the season concludes because they don't know what's going to happen with player X. And that's maybe where the starting point is. But I'll tell you where the starting point is. The starting point for me needs to be in two directions. Number one, Connor Hellebuck, because Without a top-notch goaltender, I don't know where you go moving forward. The other part of that is, too, if Connor Hellebuck is not re-signed here after the one year that he still has remaining on his deal, then who assumes that spot? You're probably looking at maybe going out in the free agent market because I don't know that there's anybody within the system right now that can become the number one goaltender as quickly as you need them to become if Connor Hellebach departs the organization, right? So that's that's a starting point for me. The other one is Pierre-Luc Dubois. Do you want to be here long-term? Do you want to sign long-term? What is your plans? I mean, maybe force the issue if on his camp side. I'm not so sure, guys, that really the Montreal thing for him is all in. I think that, you know, he'd like to see what kind of money he could get here, what uh, the team's direction is, and then he'll decide from there. If it's decided on his end that he does not want to be part of this, and for the record, there hasn't been many that have decided that. Jacob Trubo was one of them, and maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois, but we don't know, but it's their prerogative 
I mean, that's what they've earned to get to unrestricted free agency from that standpoint or being a restricted free agent with some sort of arb rights and some negotiation, um, you know, tactics and uh, and strongholds. So those are the two for me. Anything else will place after that, right? Do you have more money than to sign Mark Shifley? Do you have the opportunity to then bring a couple of more free agents in there's all kinds of things that are still uncertain here but the starting point has to be i think for your goaltender and what's your plan long term short term and what's happening with pierre luc dubois and i think everything kind of gets filled in from there afterward yes mark shifley's a priority for sure i mean four and uh till this year i think six years in a row a point per game player you know, he is a big part of the Winnipeg Jets and has been for a number of years. And he's basically a charter member. I mean, he didn't play that many games in the first two years because he was still a teenager, but he did have some influence on what was coming back in those 2011, 2012 seasons and 2012, 2013. So again, there's questions about him, but the starting point for me is Connor Hellebuck and move off from there. And a real close second or a 1A would be and what his intentions are in terms of another contract going forward so a lot of questions a lot of work to be done you know it's interesting we always think about the summer is sort of put your feet up get a line in the water and away you go well not for nhl general managers and certainly not for the administrative staff and the executive of the winnipeg jets this year there's a lot going on the draft free agency and all of these guys that are either ufa or rfa that you have to kind of look at and consider into your plans going forward. And then also, are you making some room? I guess my last point for some of the guys that deserve to be bumped up at some point from the Manitoba Moose, like a Declan Chisholm, a Leon Gavanka, the list goes on. And even Jansen Harkins, who had a heck of a year after being sent down to the minors with the Manitoba Moose and is still involved in the playoffs. And game three goes tonight in Milwaukee between the Moose and the Admirals, by the way, and that series is tied at one. So a lot of things orbiting around, a lot of questions. I think we'll ascertain some answers as the days, weeks, and months go along in the offseason. And as those days, weeks, and months go along, winnipegjets.com is the place to go for all the uh, content and news uh, related to that. Um, yes, and it's a good point, Paul. A big shout-out to the Manitoba Moose as they continue their series against the Milwaukee Admirals looking for some revenge from last season uh, when the two teams met uh, an incredible overtime game in game number two. Uh, led to the split in Winnipeg. And then, of course, the next three games in the best of five are all in Milwaukee. So make sure you stay up to date with the Manitoba Moose as well as they try to get some playoff success as well. Gentlemen, want to thank all of you for a uh, sensational year on the Ground Control podcast and also, of course, on 680 CJOB and Tyler, of course, behind the scenes for all your great work on the content that appears on winnipegjets.com and the social media channels as well. And, of course... A huge thanks to the listener. We will continue to bring all the news that we can as uh, the summer goes on. As Paul Edmonds kind of alluded to, it's going to be an interesting summer and one that uh, you're not going to want to miss any of the news that comes out of the Winnipeg Jets offices in downtown Winnipeg. Gentlemen, thank you. Listeners, thank you. And the next episode of Ground Control will come along when there's lots to discuss. This has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. For more Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com.